Good morning, and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. In our series called Do Good, we come today to a key passage. It's really the theme passage of the whole series, looking at how very important the subject of enduring in good works is to the witness of God's love to a watching world. The lesson from Paul's encouragement to the Galatians is particularly helpful in my own life, and I hope that it will be for you as well. Thanks for joining us as we seek to put our confidence in God to keep from growing weary. Have you heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out? Right? We kind of all know what that means. Uh, essentially, you will get out of something uh, that which you are willing to put into it. It's a, it's a common kind of proverbial saying. It's a, it's a principle of the world that we live in. And it is, in fact, something that we'll find true uh, within the scriptures. Uh, that the, the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia is going to rest his applicational commands to the church upon that same idea that you get out of something what you put into it. Uh, that, that garbage in, garbage out. You know, this is true in anything that you would endeavor to do in life. Uh, if you think of uh, a sports team or uh, if you had, a, if you had a, a particular sport that you enjoyed playing, whether basketball, hockey or basketball or golf, if you don't practice it right, are you going to perform well on game day? No. If, if, if you have laziness in your life or hindrances or the garbage goes in, guess what's going to come out the other side? Same is true for practicing a musical instrument. Same would be true... Um, or household chores, right? If, if you don't put into it the right ingredients, you can't expect to get out of it what it's designed for. This is true in the Christian life as well. Um, I've entitled this message, uh, Do Good, the theme of Do Good, but the subject being endurance. There, there is a challenge that you and I face in the Christian life to remain faithful. And that our faithfulness is something that is a hallmark, a characterization of our lives, not just moment to moment, but the full span, the spectrum of the time for which you follow Jesus, that you and I are found faithful. We had a wonderful memorial service for, for Vanessa Kuzak yesterday. And the passage came out of 2 Timothy 4, where Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. The, the, the hallmark of endurance determination that is the characterization of Paul's life is one that you and I, like for Vanessa, is one that we too have to embody. And, and I fear that we will be unequal to that task if we're filling our souls with garbage. If we're, if, if, if we're not properly, according to God's design, buffeting against those forces that want to draw you down to pull you away from Jesus. I'll be honest. Raise your hand. Have you ever had a challenge to be faithful in life? Has that ever been true in any honest Christians in church today? Yeah. That, that this is something that all of us, may, maybe not today, this is for you, um, but at some point it will be. Maybe it has been in the past. Um, I very simply today want to share with you, this is, this is my sermon. So you're welcome to listen, if you'd like. But all these principles that we're going to see from God's Word, they are all uh, deeply needed in my life to make sure that I am healthy for the task of maintaining endurance and faithfulness to Jesus by doing what I should be doing. 
And if that's applicable in your life, I invite you to listen as well. We're going to be in the book of Galatians in chapter 6. In fact, today's message is going to be kind of the, the, the theme verse for the whole series. I have it on the front of the artwork on your bulletin. Um, but we're going to look at it in a little greater depth. As we do, and as you're turning there, Galatians chapter 6, um, I, I will not be dealing with the larger context. <clears throat> the, I, I, want to t- I want to touch it briefly so, so you're aware of what Paul is dealing with. But I want, to, I want to kind of narrow in our focus to this concept of endurance. So just in terms of context, the Apostle Paul here in chapter 6 is going to be dealing with really how the church takes care of their pastor. <laughs> Feels a little self-serving for a sermon, but too bad it's in the Bible. So we're going to study it. <laughs> Um, in, uh, in chapter 6, in verse 6, if, if you're there with me, he says, Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. And, and you can see how the, this context around it is going to speak to the need of making sure that your leaders, that your elders, that your spiritual leaders in your church are healthy. And that they are receiving what they need so that they can be an active, effective agent of God for the growth of the church. And so that's where he begins in verse six. And from there, he unfolds a principle that's going to have to do with giving. It's going to have to do with support. And that's about all I want to say about that. I I simply want you and I to be aware that that's kind of the larger context around what we're going to be studying for this morning. But I, I want to zero in on a primary principle he gives right after this. And then we're going to build from there within our study of doing good the lessons that we need to know as a church. Um, there's, there's one last thing that I want you to be aware of, that as we work through this passage and then into some application, um, and I'll make it a, give a reminder of this as well once we get there, you're going to see we're going to have four points of application. Three of them are things that you need to be doing. Right now, if I was a basketball coach, and, and, and this was my team, I would say, all right, there's... there's Three things you need to be doing. You've got to be doing some cardio. I want you working on uh, free throws and uh, passing drills, right? You, you get the idea. There's, there's three things that you need to practice, that you need to be working on cultivating in your heart and in your life if you don't want to have garbage out. If, if you want to be an effective, faithful servant of Christ, three things. But then there's a fourth thing that you need to do for one another. Okay, everybody with me on this? So three things you do, one that you do for one another. And we'll get there as we work through this. So Galatians chapter six, I have it listed in the bulletin as verses nine and 10, but we're gonna start in verse seven. So seven, eight, nine, and 10, Galatians chapter six. Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
All right, a couple of uh, observations that I want us to see from this passage. The very uh, first one is that good works for you and I as God's people must be derived from the Spirit of God. They must be Spirit-driven. I know, I, and you maybe get sick of me uh, talking about the excursion that we're in, right? But trying to encourage the church collectively. All of us need, this is all hands on deck. We all need to be committed to revealing the good news of the gospel through our good works. Again, I, I'm not making this up. I'm just giving you what the Bible says. But you will do it wrong if you are the one striving after good works and you're not seeking to follow the flow and the leading of the Spirit of God enabling you to do those things. Your good works must come from the Spirit of God. Honestly, if we can just take a step back, if you would think of any good work that you would do that's not driven from the Spirit of God, who gets the glory? You do. And that before God, those acts of righteousness before God are repulsive to him. They're filthy rags. So this is why if you go back to the text and you look again in verse 8, he says, The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So from the very beginning, that which we seek to do, our endeavors of good works, they have to be driven by the Spirit of God speaking in, in and through our lives. Number two is this good works don't ripen immediately. I'm very thankful for the metaphor that the Apostle Paul gives us because I don't know if you are anything like me, um, but I'm not the most patient person in the world. Look again with the metaphor in verse 8. He says, the one who sows to please the sinful nature. Again, in the middle of verse 8, the one who sows and then will reap. And then in verse 9, um, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Well, what is this metaphor doing? Sowing, reaping. We have some farmers in church, right? You, you guys know you have some gardeners listening today, right? Well, what happens when you put a seed in the ground? Tomatoes next day? Amen. <laughs> nope. Nope. Sometimes, in fact, usually, almost all the time, you need to be patient. You need to be patient. Because it takes time for these good works to ripen. And as we get to a little bit further onto the final one, there's a, hopefully I'll remember to share this with you, but there's a, there's a, there's a reflexive reason why it takes time. It actually has to do with you. It has to, it has to do with me. Hopefully we'll get there. Number three is this. Good works grow according to God's timing. So two and three really go together. The first is to get you to see that it takes time for fruit to ripen. And the second is for you to understand whose time that is determined by. It's not by you. It's by God. And so let me draw you once more back into the text. Uh, Verse nine. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Man, ah, sometimes I just wish the Bible said something different. (laughs) I I wish it said right away, you'll get what you put in, right? The investment's going to pay off right away. No, it doesn't say that. It says that there is a proper time for this to happen. I I think of even Jesus's own concerns with his disciples who saw the miracles. Can you imagine? Imagine you saw the miracle happening. And yet they still doubt and they're still not growing as they should. And Jesus says, how long? (laughs) You know, he's just like, how much longer am I going to have to wait for you guys to catch this and get this? So if I know that Jesus had to be patient and wait for God's timing for this to happen, well, 
who else has to? Surely I do, surely you do. And so the way that we help ourselves to this is making sure that we're gauging things not by our own stopwatches, but by whose? Yeah, by God's. And do you know what that's going to mean? Many times you get that tough four-letter word in the Bible, W-A-I-T. Oh, that's right. Sometimes we have to wait. If there's any, uh, any parents in church today, you'll know what that's like with your own kids and seeking to have them carry the values and the love of God further, that sometimes it just takes a measure of patience that God has to give you, which is why we go back to number one. Your good works must come from the Spirit. And if they come from the Spirit, you can have a sense of confidence. God will grow it according to his time. It may not be the season for whatever fruit you're wanting to see, but God does, has not taken his hand off the wheel. Number four is this. Good works are guaranteed to grow if we don't give up. I do like this one. And I hate this one. <laughs> this one gives me a, a, a lot of sense of assurance because it's a promise. But the promise requires that I keep going. So look with me in the text once more. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if. Every time you see the word if in your Bible, you need to underline it. Pay attention. Because the promise is conditional. It's conditional upon, well, it's the theme of our message, endurance. <clears throat> you ever feel like giving up? I, I, I know there's been times where I'm, I'm not going back to church. That one, that one person said that one thing or that one person looked at me this way or they didn't say what they should have said. And there's just this wound that festers in our souls. And, you know, we have enough baggage in life, don't we? We, we have enough Pressures, lies that we receive daily from the devil, trying to bring discouragement and an accusation against us. That's what the word Satan means, is he's an accuser, right? And then we have our own rubbish. What about the lies we tell ourselves? You're, you're not good enough. Or, you know what? It ought to, be, ought to be happening faster than it really is. There is enough to tear us down in the world that we need a promise. We need a promise that we will Reap a harvest if we don't give up. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about this, and I don't have it listed in my notes, but I'd love to share it with you. If you could turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of 2 Corinthians. So just turn back just a few pages in your New Testament, book of 2 Corinthians. I want to share with you the uh, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, I want to share the, the, the real world execution of this observation in the Apostle Paul's life and in the, uh, the companion's uh, the missionaries that, were tra- that Paul was traveling with. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. 1644. Page 1644 in the Pew Bibles there. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, We don't want you to be uninformed of the uh, brothers of the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired even of life. Now, just pause right there. Have you ever been there? That, that's as low as you can go. Paul, Paul isn't talking out of a vacuum of experience. He's not encouraging the church thinking his life is all rose petals all the time. He knows what it's like to have to endure 
to trust God that the harvest is on its way when we persevere. Read a little bit further in verse 9. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's ultimate hope here is in resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is a resurrection promised for us, and so there is nothing that can happen to you on this side of eternity that can ever steal from you the blessings that God has promised to you in Jesus. Now, I want you to fast forward a little bit. Go to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. So flip a few pages forward. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look with me in verse 7. Paul continues saying, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Pause with me there. Where does endurance stem from? Your good works have to be what? They come from the Spirit. They don't come from you. You know what God will do? He will wring you and I out like a, like a washcloth until you and I believe experientially that the good that flows out and in through my life doesn't come from who? Doesn't come from me. It all comes from Him. Look with me once more. Look in the text, right? To show the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I, I don't know of a more encouraging verse for somebody when they are feeling low. Not only has the Apostle Paul been there, he knows what that feels like, but he knows the confidence he carries in the God who has directed and saved and redeemed his soul. So the same has to be true for us. Now, there's a guaranteed, uh, guaranteed for the good works, right? You can turn now back to Galatians 6, right? The guarantee says that we will reap a harvest if we, don't, if we do not give up. So we're going to talk more about that. Uh, number five, and this is, this is where it becomes reflexive. This, this was for me maybe the most eye-opening uh, in my study of this passage, which is that good works ultimately benefit you. You almost need to pause and think about that for a minute. I think it's tempting for us to think that as you even hear the challenge from your pastor, you need to be about good works in this world. Just as a quick footnote, not so you get saved. That has nothing to do with earning salvation. Good works flow from the life of those who have been redeemed. Amen? We're settled on that. Good. Um, next week, I'm going to actually deal with that subject specifically. We're going to be in James working through uh, the evidence of good works in our lives. So we'll just put a, put a pin in that idea for now. But as you hear this idea, yes, I know I, know I need to be able to put good works. The temptation is that you really are doing it for somebody else. It's always about somebody else. I worked on the mission field for five years before I had this figured out. I thought that I, as the Christian... I was going to go and fix the problems that were there. I was going to go with all the answers and having gone to a Bible college and seminary. And what I discovered was the Lord was taking me like a dish rag and just slowly wringing every ounce of ability out of me so that I would be reminded that the surpassing greatness, the work, the good things that flow from my life do not come from me. They come from him. And who at that moment who received the blessing? I did. I realized that God's love to work through me was an agent of change and growth in my life. Now, th this is exactly what I think 
the Apostle Paul means when he uses the word harvest. And, and here's why. If you back with, go back with me a little bit, the, the, the principle that we have starts in verse 7. God can't be mocked. It's not that he won't be. He can't be. God's like a, a law of the universe, like gravity. You, you cannot mock God. He is a fair judge. And we are told in multiple places that we will re- receive from God that which was done in the body, whether good or bad. <laughs> like it or not, that day is going to come. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, then every one of your sins has been paid. Right there, There's nothing left on the bill. There's no, nothing that's owed to God in that moment. But you can't mock God. And, and then look again at verse 7, the, the next line. A man will reap whatever he sows. So if you want to get oranges, you can't plant a banana seed. Do bananas have seeds? I don't actually know if they have seeds. They just have stems, I think. Right? You get the point, though, right? If, if you want to get from the soil uh, cucumbers, you can't put a potato in the ground. right? You have to put in whatever you're seeking to get out. This is a principle that we have to understand that the world operates by. I want you to see how Paul then characterizes this with a, with, a, with a contrasting observation. He says, if you sow, hoping to receive eternal life, but if you sow from the flesh, you're not going to get eternal life. Who is this eternal life for? I hope I'm not losing you here. Tra- track me on this. Paul is saying that the eternal life that you will reap is for who? It's for you. This is for you. This is not something that you are doing for the people down the road. This is actually the component of growth, sanctification, and redemption lived out in your life. It's for you. It's eternal life beginning in your life, drawn out as you put your hand and your, your lips and your feet to the soil and to the, to the uh, shovel to work and to serve in Jesus' name. The one who receives the benefit is, ultimately, it is you. So look with me again in verse 8. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now, this is where we have, this is where we have within the contrast, the result, the promise of reaping. What is it you will reap in your Bible? No trick question. What's it say? You will reap eternal what? Say it together. Eternal life. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Let that sink in for a minute. We're, we're not talking about a peg up on the, on the spiritual blessing ladder. We're, we're not talking about some special gifting that's going to make you a whatever. We're talking about eternal life. This is a blessing given to you. As you seek to follow the Spirit, that is what you are promised you will reap. And it's in that context that we have to read verse 9. Because when verse 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, don't make the temptation switch to now doing good means it's for someone else. You, you do need to do good for somebody else, but you will reap a what? A harvest if you don't give up. The harvest that you reap is not this abundance of converts like some evangelist. Are you with me on this? Am I the only one who has read this wrong for years, thinking that the harvest he's talking about is this harvest of souls for someone else? 
I hope I'm making my point here. I hope you're catching this. The harvest that Paul is referring to is a blessing that's given to you. It's a harvest of your own growth in the relationship with Jesus for the evidence of your salvation. I've, I've tried to outline that here with this fifth observation, that good works ultimately bless you. We have, a, we have a version of this where Jesus is being quoted by Paul in Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul says to the Ephesian elders as he's leaving, he says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. What, what is that? That's a good work. That's a good work, if you're, tr- you're track with me, right? So Paul says we're trying to do good works. Uh, remembering the words of Jesus Christ, so this is why he's doing it. Whoa. If, if you were a reporter in that day, you know, get out your, your pad and be like, hey, hey, Paul, why do you do good works? Why, why are you working hard for the name of Jesus? Look at his answer. It is more blessed, blessed to give than to receive. Who, who, according to Paul, who gets the benefit? This is not your question. Say it loud, Lois. That's right. You got it. You guys with me? Give me a, I, I feel like, I don't know if I'm tracking with you guys. Give me some feedback. Amen. Do you got this? You understand this? Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you. Um, I, the, the reason why I wanted to take a moment and really press that is because that was the, that's the biggest light bulb for me as I was studying this passage. Because for years and years, I always read this as something that was happening to somebody else. And even when I was a missionary, I thought I was going there for somebody else. And though I was doing good works that God prepared for me in advance that I could do in his name, the harvest was the growth that was happening in my life that I am more blessed when I give than those who even received. And this is exactly what I think Paul is trying to get the church in Galatia to see, that they need to be about the task of good works and don't give up, don't quit. There's a time, there's a promise. It will, you'll reap a harvest, but that harvest will be seen most effectively in and through your own life to know God in a deeper and more uh, personal way. So what do we do with this? Uh, here's the question that I want us to try to answer. So, all right, so how do I endure onto good works? Because we have a lot of garbage in our life, right? No amens on that? A lot of garbage in our life? Yeah. Garbage from the evil one, discouragement, accusations, legalism, condemnation, division, fear. The, I just gave you the devil's playlist right there, right? That's what he's listening to all day long. You get garbage from other people inside the church and outside the church. Jealousy, bickering, unforgiveness, hatred, criticism, lack of trust, and judgment towards one another. And then I think the the one that's probably most poignant is just the garbage that we have in our own hearts. Just that garbage of having to live through baggage of of life experiences that weigh us down. Am I the only one who feels that? Come on, give me an amen if you're with me on that, right? How do I endure and I, I want to hang up my cleats and, and uh, go take a nap. <laughs> um, I think you'll actually like some of these. But again, this is a sermon for me. Uh, and so these are the things that I need to work on that I actually think are directly from this text. And so maybe this is helpful for you too. Number one, you need to put your confidence in God. I want you to know it's extremely tempting and easy for the church leader to forget confidence does not come from me. It's not found, it's not originated in me. It actually, I can be confident in God because sometimes we don't like to wait and sometimes the garbage overwhelms and sometimes it just feels like there's more than I can handle. Slow down. You will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest. Well, if you remember, our first observation was that your good works need to come from the Spirit of God. If they come from the Spirit of God, where's my confidence? Is it in me? 
Absolutely not. It's in the spirit of God who has led me. Um, I, uh, I had a friend tell me this week that when it comes to the task of Christian leadership, it's very much like operating as one who is under orders. Uh, he, he was giving me the illustration as, uh, as somebody who does represent the, the policies of, of the higher ups. And, um, and when that filters down to your job to speak the truth, it's not coming from me. I'm not making this up. What's my job? My job is to deliver it accurately from the higher ups. So where's my confidence? And what do you think of me? No. My, my confidence has to be in God. Has to be in God alone. So this is number one. I, I hope that that's a, helpful for you. I know that's something I'm working on. That my, I'm, not, I'm not confident in what's happening here at Grace because I'm doing it. I'm confident because I have been faithful to discharge my responsibility. So my confidence is actually in God. You can pray for me. This is something I'm working on. Number two, you'll like this one. Sabbath. Sabbath uh, is the verb form of it. This would be the noun form of it. But I put it up here as a noun. Hopefully you'll think of it as a verb. What's this word mean? Anyone know? Rest. It means rest. It's the Hebrew word for Rest. Hold on, Pastor, I thought, you were, I thought you were talking about doing good works, and now you're telling us to rest? Yep. <laughs> and I, I don't think I'm making this up. I think that this is exactly what you find in the text. So look again in verse 9, because it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest. So sometimes, you know what the farmer has to do? Yeah, you just need to rest. You, 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 you wait, you, you plant the seeds, then you, and you step away. Do you know how you ruin a garden? Just keep poking at it. You know, you put the seed in and just keep messing with it. It's not going to grow. You've got to learn to rest. And in, and in resting, what, what this does for us is it helps remind us of the rhythms of our humanity. Right? So, you, I, who, high school, could you do an all-nighter? Anybody? College? I stay up all night, man. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I am exhausted by like 8.30. Is anybody else like that? I think it's winter affects me a little bit, but like, like my brain is like 30% functioning. Um, so yeah, you know what rest does? It reminds us that there are rhythms. There is day and there was night, right? And then we have, God gave us another one. He gave us a week. And God said, I, 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 had, I had dirt under my fingernails for six days. And then you know what I did? And we say, what God, what'd you do? He said, I took, I took the seventh day off. Do you know how much pastors rest? Do you know how much I rest? I, I should confess to you, I'm bad at this. I, I, we, in our family, we have a chart that we make every uh, February and every July. We call it the Flunker Family Funtivities. And we, we try to come up with all these great things that we want to do. And one of mine was to take a day off. I'm just really bad at that. And I, I'm trying to get better at it. But this is, a, this again, is a sermon for me. This is what I need to be reminded of. So not only is it the rhythms of our humanity, but it helps us avoid legalism. Because if you fail to rest, you are the one who's putting all that extra pressure over your life. And I, I kind of plague myself with that too. Vacations are something that I'm really bad at. And I feel like I'm kind of shirking a responsibility that I should be doing if I were to rest. You know what that's called? Ooh, it's called legalism. I am, I am ineffective as a spiritual leader to a, to a people if I am not applying the things that I am preaching to others. So it helps us with the rhythms. It helps us uh, avoid striving 
and, and that, that, fe- that fear that I have to do more. Uh, the illustration I can think of for that is, you ever tried painting a picture? Anybody, artist in here, right? Uh, if you are, uh, you'll know that there's a time to stop painting. Like, it's done. But, but if you're like me, you're like, but I just need to forget this here and put a little more. And the more I mess with it, the more I mess it up. Like, it's good. It's fine. Rest. It'll be okay. Uh, and the last thing that, that resting does is it shows a dependence on God. It ultimately reminds us of what exactly we studied in, or saw in 2 Corinthians. That the strength does not come from us. The strength resides in God. And it's, it's there our confidence gets placed. Imagine if God took a day off on the, on the last day, but we say we don't need to. What a fool, right? What a fool. God says, hey, you know, I, I can help you with that. No, I got it. I got it. I don't need your help. Oh, that'll just wear you right out. So Sabbath, this is, this is exactly what I see in the text, right? Because it says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. So there is a season in your life that you and I need to become disciplined to learn how to rest, to put your feet up, to unplug your brain, to turn the phone off. Is this just for me up here? Okay. All right. Number three, you need to be who God has made you to be. You need to be who God has made you to be. And I want to be careful with this because that's also a saying that gets abused. Like this is very popular in a tolerance-based world. This is just who I am. Like it or not, I can do what I want. It's my true self. No, that's not what this means. That's, this is not who you are. This is who God made you to be. There's a difference, all right? Everybody tracking with me on this? So um, as, we're, as we're seeking to obey this, this comes from the text as well. I want, I want to point it out to you, verse 9, once more. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Do, do you know that your garden looks different than your neighbor's? The, uh, this word we is a first-person plural. This is, this is a little technical here. This is called a hortatory subjunctive. And that's just a fancy way of saying what Paul means is he's inviting the church individually to participate together with him. That's what the we means. The reason I'm explaining that to you is because I don't want you to think this is for just the community or this is for somebody else. This is for you. This is for you. You need to be who God made you to be. And all God's children have a place in the choir, right? Some sing low, some sing higher. Some sing out loud on the telephone wire, and some just... (laughs) You are not like your neighbor. Your garden is not like your neighbor. Your harvest will not be like your neighbor. Uh, there, there was a pastor in town I talked to this week. He said when he first started, he was trying to do everything that the previous pastor did. I'm guilty of feeling that pressure as well. And he said it was after two years, he finally said, I, I can't do it. I'm just not gifted to do all these things. So he stopped doing them. He told me, yes, uh, when was two days ago? He said, some of those things still aren't getting done. They're just not getting done because that's not who I am. This is who I am. God has made me to be a teacher and, and I need to embrace that because that's who God has made me to be. I'm not all things to all people. I can't do the work that everybody to make everybody's perception of how I should be. You just can't do it. You need to be confident and content for who God has made you to be. And this is exactly what I see coming from the text because it says, 
that at the proper time, we, meaning you individually, that hortatory subjunctive is right in there. It's you individually. You will reap a harvest that may be different from your neighbors. Now, there's two ways in which I think this is played out. First of all, it's, it's this. You need to be Christian. There, there's no way around this. To be who God has made you to be is for you to be Christian. That is why you are still alive. If God did not have a purpose for you to represent his son before the world, you would be dead. And you would be up in glory with heaven. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. He says, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is better, better by far. But I know that I will remain and that it will be for your benefit that I will continue to work in the labor, fruitful labor in the church. There's a reason why I'm here. And so the first part of being who God makes you to be means that you need to be a Christian. Secondly, you need to be humble. Um, the other day I was using a plastic fork to open the lid of a jar. And I broke the fork. Do you know why? Because that's not what a plastic fork is designed to do. And, and the same is true for you. I don't know if you know your limitations. I don't know if you know your giftings. I'm not sure if you, maybe you right now are trying to do more than what God has designed you to be. Well, the answer to that is to be humble, just to recognize you can't do it all. And that's good. That's who God's made you to be. So th- these are the two ways that, that I see this played out in our text. Lastly is this. You need to keep the gears greased. I, I hope you know what I mean by that. You need to keep the gears greased. And this comes uh, at the end of verse 10. So in verse 10, we get the therefore. You remember we're looking at a lot of lettuce, like a salad bar passage, right? Let us do this and let us do that. You had two of them, right? So the first one was verse 9. Let us not become weary. And you got another one in, chapter, in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of God. I, I had someone ask me, it might've been in a Bible study, like, I don't get that. What, what, why, the, uh, why the preference here to especially uh, Christians? Why? Uh, th- this is why. I, I, I want to seek if I, if I could to answer that for you today. The first is because of your identity. Jesus says in John chapter 13, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you... Love one another. The vehicle of God's message of the gospel is in you. It's in you and it's in your communion. And it's in your communion with those Christians at the church down the road. That is the vehicle that demonstrates the message of the gospel. By this, they will know you're my disciples. If you love not the people on the outside, but if you love one another. So, so, so the first thing I want you to know is that by keeping the gears greased, what you're doing is you're allowing the vehicle to run the way it's supposed to run. If you're not loving one another in the church, if we're not defending one another in the church, holding one another accountable, speaking the truth and love to one another in the church, do you know what's going to happen to the vehicle? It's going to fail. It will not do its purpose for what God has designed the communion of believers And so you have got to make sure that when you're doing good, you first of all look to the church. 
because that's the vehicle that God has designed to share the message of the good news. Are we on the same page with that? Everybody got that one? Um, This is a little self-serving. This is the moment where I would like to be not your pastor, just a teacher, right? Because what this is saying is you need to encourage your pastor and your elders and your spiritual leaders. Now, I don't, I don't want to pick on Lois, but I'll, can I pick on you for a minute? Okay. So Lois is a pastor, right? She shepherds the Helping Hearts group, right? And if you know Lois, you know her heart is uh, like post-Grinch, like it's three sizes too big, right? She's, that's, that's Lois, right? Um, she, she is so excited about doing all these wonderful things. And it was a few months ago, we were going to do a drive-in over at the Iron County Medical Care Facility, right? And she sent out an invitation. And do you know how many people showed up? Nobody showed up. Nobody showed up. And I, I kind of knew that was going to happen. I kind of called her ahead of time and thought that might happen. But then I knew what I had to do for Lois was I had to build her back up. I had to, because you know what? That's a kind of friction in the gears that will slow this church leader down. You are a church leader. You have some ministry. There's something that you are actively doing here. And if you never get a, an encouragement word from a brother or a sister here, that's going to be like sand in your gears, slowing you down. We need to make sure that we are encouraging one another. Now, if I put my pastor hat back on, I want you to know the very best way you can do that for me is almost what I saw unfold this morning and yesterday at the funeral. Um, I got to talk about my kids for a minute here. I'm, Emily's at the, uh, she's at the women's retreat. And so dad's in charge and dad says, get yourselves ready for bed. Now, Emily does a lot more. I just say, go get yourself ready for bed. And then I have a little six-year-old coming down in tears. Something went wrong. So I got to bring, I got to bring both my kids together. I got to, we got to sit down. We got to talk about it, pray together. Right? So we did all that. How do my kids best exemplify giving me the encouragement that I'm looking for as a parent. Do, do my kids come and be like, Dad, you're the best dad ever. Is that what they do? No. Do you know what they do? They get along. That's the biggest encouragement that a dad can have when he sees his children loving one another, sacrificing for one another, offering what they value and cherish to one another that they, they demonstrate that there is no greater encouragement that I can have as a father when I see them operating in that way. And I want to submit to you, I think that's the same that pastors need to see. And I saw that on Saturday at the funeral. Come on, you guys, you've been at this church for a while, right? You know, when there's a memorial service, do you know how busy that kitchen is? I mean, we got people carrying and get out of my way. I got to get bringing this in and we're fixing this up. And do you need help there? And I'll get this for you. And I mean, it's like, it's amazing. Who's in charge? Nobody's in charge. God's in charge. And everybody is seeking to help. Everybody is seeking to serve. And it is gorgeous. It is the most beautiful thing that I could ever see as a pastor. And then I see the same thing happening on, on a Sunday morning as, uh, as, as people are hugging Matt Bowser. And as, as we're fellowshipping with one another, that is the greatest encouragement that I can have as a pastor. So the church is the vehicle through which God is going to speak to the world the love of God. If we don't have love demonstrated here, that vehicle is going to shut down. So this is the first way that we keep the gears greased. And secondly, has to do with our abilities. We need to learn to build one another up. Because if we're not building one another up, you're going to end up like poor Lois after that. Uh, n- nobody showed up because now I don't want to, I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm just so sick of this. I don't want to even try. 
anymore. And the ability shuts right down. My, my mom and I have a plow truck, big 350 white Ford Super Duty. I mean, it's awesome, right? There ain't no uh, snowfall that can stop this plow truck, right? Some of you are like, it's a Ford. Yeah. Other of you are like, it's a Ford. So that's all right. You can argue about that later. When we first got it and I drove it, I parked it and something smelled wrong. Something smelled like it was burning. And I went to the very back, kind of sniffing around where it could be. And I'm not a mechanic. Uh, I don't see Bob Lachlan here. He could help me out here. But there's a, uh, Luke, maybe you could help me, right? There's a, the, the part that goes into the rear differential. What is that? Drive shaft? Drive shaft. So the drive shaft runs into the rear differential and there's some big gears in there. And what those gears are designed to do is send the power to the back wheels. But do you know what's inside of a rear differential? Yeah, a bunch of oil and grease. And there's a seal that locks the cap in. Now, if that seal has a leak in it, it won't hold the oil. And if it doesn't hold the oil, it will glow red hot and smell like your truck is on fire when you drive it. And that's exactly what we found happened. I had to take it to the shop to get fixed. The, the truck will lose its entire ability if the gears are not greased. The Apostle Paul is talking to the churches in Galatia. And I want to just take you back to verse 6 again. A little maybe self-serving, but it's in the Bible. Let's read it together. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. God's design is that your church leaders stay strong and healthy because what is good for them is good for the body. And he says the same thing then in verse 10. And hopefully this answers your question. Why does, why does he focus on the people of God? Let me read it again. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. This is what he says earlier in chapter five. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And then he corrects that in chapter six, verse two. He says this command, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is an all hands on deck project. You and I are tasked with the great privilege and challenge that it is to do good works for the name of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, those good works will be a blessing to you to grow you up in the Lord. And we have to make sure that when we see our participation in this, there's three things that you need to focus on. Number one, your confidence is not in you. Put your confidence in God. Number two, sometimes you have to take a day off. You have to learn to rest. And this will be something that's extremely healthy for you. Number three, you need to be who God has created you to be. I, I, I'm wrapping things up here just as, as a review. I, I do want to point out one last thing, though, on this, this subject. If you look with me back in the text in verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. As we have opportunity, as you have opportunity, sometimes that plant just ain't going to grow there. You just don't have opportunity there. You need to be okay with that. You need to focus on those things that God has enabled you to do. Are you with me on that? Three things that you do. Confidence in God. Learn to take a Sabbath rest. Make sure that you are embracing who God's made you to be. And then the fourth one is what we do for each other. And, and we, we've lived through a, a season in 2020 where it's been very hard to do this. So you're going to have to work harder to get it right. We need to keep the gears greased. We need to make sure that this church is a healthy church. And as it does, as you and I obey this... There's great things that God's going to do through our witness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.